good morning, church. Morning, Underground. How you guys doing? Yeah. You guys are never this quiet. Come on. <laughs> it is uh, good to be with you all. We are kind of fresh off of middle school camp. A couple weeks ago, we took a bunch of students up to uh, near Yosemite and just had a great time. Three of our students trusted Christ for the very first time. And yeah, that's something to applaud God for. And then three more students recommitted their life uh, to Christ. And so it was just a great weekend to, uh, to play, uh, to sing songs of worship, to uh, really just uh, really connect with God. So I, I love you guys. appreciate you guys uh, being here this morning. So, and I love you guys too. So <clears throat> um, we, we even got to bring back some creepy crawlies. So I don't know if you guys heard, but we had a lice ep- epidemic in our camp. And so I'm kind of scratching my head right now. If you guys are sitting over there, you guys might be scratching as well. But we, we just had a great time. And this weekend, our high schoolers are actually doing their winter camp in Lake Tahoe. So please, uh, if you have time this morning, to remember them in prayer as they connect with God as well. Today, we're continuing in our series called Shine, uh, making an impact in our world around us. We're looking at the book of 1 John. And last week, uh, we were blessed by Pastor Chi, who's our Mandarin-speaking pastor, uh, that he shared that Jesus is light. And that is great news. It's not like, that's okay. That's great news. Because Jesus has forgiven us, and he cleansed us from our sins. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we are looking in the book of 1 John, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's the one pew back in front of you on page 1021. So 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 14 verses. Would you rise with me as we read God's word together? Let me give you a second to get there. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 1 to 14, I'm reading from the ESV version. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know, the, uh, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
whoever, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Would you join me in prayer as we uh, ask God to just reveal us, uh, reveal himself to us in his word. Our Father, we thank you and just come before you. As we just think about this passage of what it means to abide in you, may the information, words that we have read transfer from our head and into our hearts so that we may be able to shine bright and impact the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. John continues this thought from, from chapter 1. As, as Pastor Chi shared last week, no sin is too great that God cannot forgive. And no sin is too dirty that he cannot cleanse. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us, uh, forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John continues this thought and says, my little children, uh, they weren't little kids, but he was writing this affectionately to these believers. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you, not if, but when you sin, you got to remember that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I want you guys to circle the word advocate here. You can uh, write on your first fill in the blank. It's to embrace the advocate. Embrace the advocate. And if you, if you have a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, you can mark it up anyway in, in your Bible. The word advocate. What is an advocate? An advocate is a legal term. Uh, it's used to describe someone who is a, a defender, a legal counsel who pleads the case of another in court, a mediator, or someone who stands beside you when, you have, uh, when you're seeking justice. We have all kinds of advocates in this room. We have advocates that are in the medical field, and they advocate for patients' rights. We have other, other advocates who advocate for children, possibly in the foster care system. And then we have uh, probably legal advocates here that can, best, can better describe what an advocate is. And you guys represent uh, clients in court. I understood the importance of advocacy when I worked with International Justice Mission. IGM is a global organization that protects the poor from violence in the developing world. And they employ lawyers and social workers, investigators, and other administrators who advocate for those who are marginalized and for them to receive justice. So when I was working for them in, in Uganda, I got to witness firsthand what an advocate does. 
An advocate was just this special term that brought new meaning to life as I saw our lawyers and our social workers stand up for our clients. They would go pick them up in the villages when their uh, case was to be heard and drive them to the court system, to in front of the judge, in front of a tribal official, in front of uh, district officials, and they would never give up. They would bring paperwork, scores of evidence to plead the case for their client. And what was so encouraging as I saw this in action, I saw our clients giving full trust to our lawyers and social, uh, social workers because they saw how they were advocating for them. John says in verse 1 that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Where a human advocate may, may fail, a lawyer is never going to serve your sentence for you. A lawyer is never going to say, yeah, my client is guilty, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for their punishment and crime. Jesus Christ does. Get this, when we sin, Jesus Christ advocates for us to the Father, and he pleads our case. And our case is not a beautiful one. We are guilty before God, the Father. But he says he paid the debt for us, he acts on our behalf, and he goes before us. Jesus says, I am your advocate, and I will go to my Father. And he's able to do this because it says that he is righteous. He's not just okay. He is righteous, meaning that there is no imperfection or wrongdoing in him. What's more, in verse 2, John writes that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Just say, hey, Jesus is the propitiation for your sins. Go ahead. Let's pause for a second because I worked all week just to say the word propitiation. And you got it on the first try. Good for you. That's a mouthful. This is an SAT word. Some of your Bibles, I believe, in the NIV or the NLT says sacrifice or toning sacrifice or sacrifice that atones for our sins. Propitiation or to atone means to satisfy one or satisfy or to make amends. Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross was the only way to save us from God's wrath of judgment. In the Bible, atonement is always associated with man's sin. In the Old Testament, God commanded the people of Israel once a year to, uh, to go uh, and, and sacrifice a bull offering and a goat offering for not only the, the priest who was to do this uh, sacrifice, but also for the sins of all Israel. And so this priest would, would come in before he would go into the tent uh, the Holy of Holies. This is kind of like an old uh, Sunday school lesson. Before he could go into the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place that God set before the people of Israel, this priest had to dress up in very simple linen. He was to go humbly before God and bring this sacrifice. And he goes into the Holy of Holies, and he, uh, the sacrifice, he takes the blood of the goat and the bull and he sprinkles it on uh, the Ark of the Covenant. 
in the Holy of Holies, there is the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, it's called the mercy seat. And when the priest sprinkled the blood on top of the mercy seat, it covered up and atoned for the sins, for his sins, but also for the sins of the people. But here was the problem. It only covered up the sin, and it had to be repeated year after year after year. Why is Christ's atonement for our sins so spectacular? Two things happened when Christ became the propitiation for our sins. First, God the Father was satisfied. Christ satisfied the righteous demands that God the Father had in respect to sin. Christ is the perfect sacrifice for for sin because uh, God was pleased and God was looking for a perfect sacrifice. It couldn't be just an animal. It couldn't just be a bull. It couldn't be a goat. But it had to be the perfect sacrifice, one without blemish or without sin. And that was Jesus Christ. It not only canceled sin, but Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us satisfied God's wrath against sin. And he was an acceptable offering to the Father. It didn't need to be done over and over and over again like the priests did in the Old Testament. Look with me um, in Hebrews. It says this in Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 3. It says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every single year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his surface, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single sacrifice and a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's us. His one sacrifice made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. Not only us, not only those who say, I believe Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It says, but for the whole world. I love that this is the same John who wrote in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is Jesus who came to give us life and life abundantly. And that's why we should embrace Jesus Christ as our advocate. Not a lawyer, not some human person. This is God Almighty who paid for our sins. And the, the beautiful part of this, he didn't do it for one time. It says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ continually intercedes for us to the Father. As a great advocate, Jesus is always by our side. And his atoning sacrifice wasn't just like the animals. It wasn't just uh, needed to be repeated year after year. Because I said earlier that when the priest went in to sacrifice the goat and the bull, it only covered the sins of the people. It had to be repeated over and over again. But get this, Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection cleansed us from our sin. 
And that is why we can rejoice when we say 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us, not cover us. He will cleanse us of our sins and all of our unrighteousness. Amen? So sin has been removed forever. And so, but there's a second thing. Not only did, did Jesus Christ satisfy God's wrath for sin, we became reconciled with God. We were distant, separated from God. And by Jesus Christ's atonement, he not only canceled sin, he brought us back into a right relationship with God the Father. Entirely done by God, nothing through us. We couldn't work for it. We couldn't attain for it. We couldn't look good enough for it. Jesus Christ paid the price for us. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And in Psalm 103, it says, We have freedom as far as the east is from the west. So far he has removed our transgressions from us. We don't downplay sin at all. We know that it grieves God the Father. But as a believer in Christ, we have confidence that we can go before him, that when we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. And so we can embrace Christ as our advocate. Let's continue in verse 3. It says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. I'm going to go show you a picture up on the screen. You tell me who this guy is. Steph Curry. How many of you guys know Steph Curry's real name? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, who's his wife? Aisha. How many kids does he have? Two. So how many times has he won MVP? Two. Some of you guys are stalkers because you know all this information about Steph Curry, all right? You know, we may know a lot of information about number 30, but we don't know him. And this is what John is trying to get at. John is setting, up, uh, setting us up because he's writing to us as believers. He's writing to this group of believers. We don't know where they were, but we, he's writing to this group of believers. And his point was, I don't want you just to know information, not like Steph Curry information. I don't want you guys just to know some information about who God is. I want you to know him. And in, tr- in order for us to truly experience him, uh, God, we need to be in fellowship and keep his commandments. Church, you, could, you should remember maybe if uh, the days when you were dating or maybe uh, in middle school you liked someone. Uh, I'm going to pick on middle school for a little bit. Maybe you like someone. You like this guy or you like this gal in, in school or, or even in the, in the pew row right now. Or if you guys remember when you guys were dating, uh, you, before you were dating, you had this uh, talk. It's called the DTR, Determine the Relationship. How many of you guys have ever had that talk before? I've had that talk. You guys are, who are married never had a DTR talk with your, wow, okay. 
Pastor Fred is right over here. <laughs> so uh, here, here it is. You know what a DTR is? DTR is to define the relationship. When I met my, my wife um, a few years back, uh, we, we started to Skype. We started to write a lot. She would uh, write in Spanish. I would write in English, and it would get flip-flopped in, uh, in Google. And um, we, I would got to the point where I'm like, I think I'm, I'm beginning to like this gal. And I'm pretty sure, about 80% sure, not 100%, I was only 80% sure that she liked me. And I'm like, what's next? You got to have the DTR because I didn't want to just be like Skype buddies. I didn't want to just be Google buddies where we just translate stuff back and forth. I wanted to, for us to define the relationship. I was hoping for something more. So you lay out all the expectation and what's next. And the DTR is happening here in, in verse 3. John is writing to, to us. It says, by this, we know God if we keep his commandments. You truly want to know God? More than just head knowledge, more than just Steph Curry puff-up knowledge, here's what he asks. Keep his commandments. The beauty about keeping his commandments is he doesn't give us 7,000 of them. He just reminds us of two very important commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know me, John is saying here, is if you want to know God the Father, not just for information, put your life into practice and love me and love your neighbors. Experience my fellowship and what that entails. And this fellowship was not only to be for Christians, but you were to extend that to your neighbors. See, that's a serious DTR. And John further explains it by saying that if you say you know me and you don't keep my commandments, you're a liar. You're a fake. And a truth is not in you. You don't know God and you're not in close fellowship with him if you're not obedient to his commands. So not just Steph Curry knowledge, like we're saying, God the Father wants us to obey his commands, to love him, and to love others. The beautiful part about this versus Steph Curry is God knows us. God, Steph Curry doesn't know us. The closest I've ever been to Steph Curry is 40 feet away. But God the Father knows us. He wants a relationship with us. And he says, if you want to be in relationship with me, Keep my commandments. In verse 5, it continues, Those who truly obey his commands, the love of God has been perfected. What does it mean that the love of God has been perfected? It's perfected because the believer understands what God is asking him or her to do. And he responds to it, and you see the life change in that person. By this we know that we are in, in him. John is just merely repeating what he learned from Jesus 50 years ago. And he's repeating it to this group of believers right now. If you know me, you're going to abide in me. This is a reminder to us as a church. If we truly want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to obey his commandments. Verse 6 wraps up this section and says, Whoever abides in Jesus must walk in the same way 
that he walked. Jesus has an intimate relationship with the Father, and he displayed his love and compassion and mercy to us. And so likewise, we are to do the same to others. You are my disciples if you obey my commands. And this is the relationship that John was talking about and reminding his readers about. John's affection toward this group continues in verse 7. It says, beloved. You know, he really loved this group, whoever he was writing to. And he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. They had already known what the old commandment was. But when Jesus Christ came into the world, it was a new commandment. Jesus Christ didn't make new commands. He was just the culmination of it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. It is this true light that shines, Jesus Christ, and he desires us to radiate that. As we continue to love one another, uh, not just those who are believers, we're also called to love those who aren't believers. After, after my wife and I, then girlfriend, we had this DTR, we started dating. And this was the fun part. You know, you're getting to know her. Uh, like I was getting to know her and she was getting to know me. And I spent, uh, we spent a month together. Like she spent a, a few weeks with my family and friends. And then I spent a few weeks with her family and friends. And after that time, I realized, man, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I got to put a diamond on her. Like I got to put a ring on her, you know? And so here, here began, I pretty much, like I said, I'm not that smart, but I knew at least 80% she was thinking the same thing. And so I said, I know nothing about diamonds. And so I went to my friends. I said, hey guys, you guys are all married. Um, what do I do? How do I shop for a diamond? And so some of my friends said, you guys, you need to go with me to the SF Jewelry Mart. And I, I said, what's at the SF Jewelry Mart? It's like, there's just a bunch of diamonds, and you just go from store to store to store, and you get to just understand what a diamond is. And I'm like, man, that seems awfully confusing. Then another friend goes, hey, whatever diamond you get, you got to just remember, get the Tiffany cut, the Tiffany cut diamond. Who's Tiffany? And why do I want her to cut my diamond? I realized later on as I got to know Tiffany, I didn't want to know Tiffany anymore. I'm a little cheap too. Then my other friends came and told me, they said, you got to meet these guys. These guys are named Jared and Shane. And and so I I get to know Jared and Shane. And I didn't like them either because they were pushy. They just wanted to sell me a diamond, not to get to know me. But then my, my other friend, uh, my best man, he goes, look, I found this guy on Yelp. He's a personal juror, got great reviews. And let's go check him out because you don't like Tiffany and you don't like Jared or you don't like Shane. But maybe this guy will help out. And so we go sit down with this juror. Uh, if you want to ask me his information, I'll give it to you guys later. But <laughs> we go to see this juror And he sits down and he tells me and he calms my fears. And he says, I will not sell you a diamond today. I will not sell you a diamond on your second visit, your third visit, not even your fourth visit. Maybe your last visit, you might be inclined to buy a diamond for me. I said, 
great. This is awesome. No sales pitch. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to show you any rings because that is not the way to look at diamonds. I'm going to show you diamonds. And so when you come back the next time, I'm going to bring five diamonds, and you're going to go look at them. I said, okay. So I go back the next visit with my buddy, and he shows me these diamonds. And he goes, Ray, just take this diamond now. And he gives me this diamond. He's like, looks pretty good, huh? I'm like, yeah. Now go take it outside. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, go take it outside. Don't worry about it, you know? He's like, you don't know me. I could go steal this diamond from you. And he, he goes, no, take it outside. So I take this diamond outside, and I look at it. I don't know anything about these five Cs. I don't know anything about the VS, VVS, IF, whatever it is. I'm looking at this diamond, and I see this. I'm like, wow. And then I bring it back in. Guy gives me the second diamond. Look at it. Does the same thing. Third, fourth, fifth diamond. After, after the fifth diamond, I realized one thing. It wasn't so much the clarity, the cut, or whatever it was. When I put that diamond out in the true light that shines, it radiated, whatever it was. All the cracks, all the imperfections, all the flaws, the cuts, it shined like it was supposed to be. That is true light that shines. Jesus Christ is that light. We are that diamond. And he's telling us, shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. I feel like singing Rihanna right now. (laughs) See, as a diamond in ourself, we don't radiate light. We radiate light because it's the true light that shines through us through Jesus Christ. And it's true because Jesus Christ obeyed the Father first, and now we are obeying him. It's true in you and I because our relationship is with Christ. It's not gonna be perfect. There's no perfect diamond. We have flaws, we have sins that that we, we feel like we need to hide, but that light shines through all those imperfections. And he says, Shine bright like a diamond. Reflect my light. But we also need to be careful. It says, those who are in the light yet hates his fellow brother or sister is still in the darkness. John was explaining to this group of believers that if you say that you are in the light, be in the light. But if you are in the light yet you hate your brother, you are in the Darkness. This was the message that some of the people were trying to to say. All you need to know is to know all this information about Jesus, but not live like he did. And so John was attacking these people and saying, no, no. If you say that you're in the light, reflect his light. If you say that you're in the light and you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness. I believe that he's talking to us today in this passage There are many of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we don't love. We have a hard time reflecting that love. We actually hate because sometimes people may not align with our views. Let me ask you a question. Who do you hate? Who can you not stand that is your brother and sister? 
Because John says that if you hate your brother and sister in Christ, you're walking in darkness. When we're in light, we desire, if I'm standing here in the light, I desire the very best for our middle schoolers. I desire the very best for you guys that we're willing to sacrifice for one another to reflect that true love. And it's a reminder in verse 6 that if we are to abide in him, we must walk as Jesus Christ walked. So there's no middle ground. Either you are in the light and you're reflecting him like a diamond, or you are in the darkness. There's no middle ground that you're like halfway. You're either in one or the other. And John says, when we're walking in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. My, my brother and sister will not stumble because of my faith, of how I'm reflecting that in Christ. Hate is the absence of light, and it's only associated with darkness. and has all of these negative effects. Verse 11 says that when we hate, we are actually in darkness. I don't know how many of you guys are good in the dark. I hit my toe every single time. I stump, uh, stumble my way through walls, doors, uh, beds, toys, etc. I cannot see in the dark. In the same way, when our hearts are darkened, we cannot see the light. There's a second thing, too, is that when we are walking in darkness, we have no clue of what the light can do for us. We're just kind of blinded by our hatred, by our pains, by our own imperfection, and we're just wandering, like the verse says. To walk in light means to experience Jesus, to be in fellowship with him. And John concludes this, this passage in verses 12 to 14, he, he kind of sets this up. He says, here's the DTR. You want to know what it looks like to be in relationship with me? Keep my commandments. Then in verses 7 and 11, he gave us practical examples. That brother and sister who is walking in the light uh, is going to reflect his light. But the one who is walking in the light yet hates his brother is walking in darkness. And finally, in this section, in verses 12 to 14, he encourages us. He encourages us to rest in our identity. See, the Christian life is one of maturity. Um, it, it isn't a race. Uh, it takes a whole lifetime to understand, to know, and to worship God as Savior. And he addresses three groups here. He addresses little children, he addresses young men, and he addresses fathers. I can assume that he's also addressing women uh, and girls as well here. And he's, he says this, uh, little children, your sins have been forgiven. I don't care if you are 7, 17, or 70. It's great to know, as a believer, your sins are forgiven every single day. Blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed our sins. Remember, we learned about that, what propitiation means. Not just covered, but cleansed us from our sins. And it's nothing that we deserve or nothing that we can even do to uh, deserve that. We simply receive it by faith and faith alone. And so what a beautiful reminder as we wake up every single morning, your sins are forgiven. He then proceeds to, to remind fathers in verse 13 that they have come to know God who is from the beginning. As we continue to grow in our faith, we mature in our faith. And he's addressing fathers and he's saying, hey, 
Remember who is from the beginning. The guy who is from the beginning. The, the God who is from the beginning. And I believe John was trying to show here in verse 13 a picture of what it looks like to be spiritually mature. And then he reminds young men that they have overcome the evil one. The Christian life isn't a battle against a brother or sister. It's very much a spiritual battle. It's not one that you're like, I'm going to hate my brother. It's a spiritual battle going on. And that spiritual battle is against Satan. Have you ever gone through a trial where you had to overcome something? You see, as believers, when we overcome the evil one, it is only because of Christ. It is only because of that we can rest in his goodness, that we can say that we have been forgiven by him. And so we grow spiritually strong when we are in God's word, when we are in fellowship with him, when we are in fellowship with other people. John repeats this three groups again, and instead of writing in, in the future tense, he writes in, in a, a resultant tense, like just basically it's been perfected. And he says this, as we grow in spiritual maturity, we're going to know God the Father, who is from the beginning. As we grow in our faith, the trials that come, we're going to be strong. And as the word of God penetrates every joint and marrow, we can have assurance of overcoming the evil one. So rest in your identity in Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago when we were at camp, our speaker, uh, Jason Lee, Pastor Jason Lee, said that there are three voices that we constantly hear uh, around us. The very first voice is Mr. Poopy Pants. And Mr. Poopy Pants, he's called the accuser. He is called uh, liar, the deceiver, Satan, among others. Poopy Pants has only one objective, to prevent you from loving God. Poopy Pants is not nice. It's actually kind of messy. And he will tempt you from every single way from following God. But there's a second voice that we hear sometimes when we're unsure of our identity, and that is our own voice. And our own voice carries all sorts of baggage and luggage and imperfections. And we say that we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're not good-looking enough. And this voice says, don't listen to any other voice because God doesn't love you. But there's a final voice that I want to encourage us to rest in. And it's God's voice. It is true, and it shines bright, and it is legit. He reminds you that your sins have been forgiven. That you have known him from the beginning, and that you have overcome the evil one. May you hear this last voice loudly. May we hear this last voice loudly. That it is not Mr. Poopy Pants. It is not my voice. It is God's voice that we hear when we are unsure of our identity. May we respond to him humbly and embrace Jesus Christ as our advocate. And may you see him as a true light that shines. And may you rest in that identity. As the worship team comes out, they're going to lead us in, in the song some of us might know called No Longer Slaves. And perhaps this morning you have been wrestling with anxiety and fear. And you're wondering, like, what's going to happen? 
I have a word of encouragement for you. Perfect love casts out all fear. And some of you may be enslaved in addiction, whatever that may be, and it's eating you up on the inside. And you're wondering, how am I going to overcome this struggle? And I want to encourage you. Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins and cleansed us of all unrighteousness. Will you surrender that addiction to him? And some of us are just maybe feeling hopeless and insecure and alone. My encouragement to you is that you're a child of God. So you should no longer fear of what's going to happen in the future or even tomorrow. Don't listen to any other voice, but listen and trust in God's voice. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.